0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WMEX, the all-new 1510 AM, Quincy, Boston, and Translator W266DQ, 101.1 FM in Weymouth. You're listening to Upholding Hope with your host, Uncle Tony. Thank you, Ben. I really
1: appreciate everybody coming tonight. Uh, We have a very special guest. We have Joanne Peterson from Learn to Cope, and Joanne has been in the... I say, I call it the hunt um, for um, at least 20 years from what I understand. And she's a very special person because you'll see her everywhere. I've never seen anybody as dedicated to the cause as Joanne. She's just everywhere, and I mean that literally. In fact, I have to say that I did a speech on the lawn in the front of the White House back about five years ago, and um, I didn't realize I was going to be the warm-up speaker for Joanne that night. She followed me, so I got the crowd all kind of going a little bit, so we could march on the White House and let them let them hear our message. And um, that was a pretty moving night. In fact, we were one of the big discussions was to um, go after Purdue Farmer and um, and the Sackler family. And since that night, we have put them in bankruptcy. But our goal is to still go after their go after their piles of money. Uh, the billions of dollars that they have in offshore banks—that's that's our next goal, and we were just at a rally in Washington D.C. where I was reunited again with Joanne, and she spoke there about uh, Joanne actually testified in 2007 on the first trial with the Sackler family and the Purdue Pharma. But I'm going to let her talk to us about that. So, Joanne, how did we? How did you? Well, let's say, let me stop from the beginning. What did you? What motivated you to? Create, learn to cope.
2: So um, it it really. First of all, thanks for having me. And it's my always my pleasure good to see Anytime. you. I've always you know happy to see you. It's you know we met in terrible circumstances, but you know you're a warrior out there too. So um, that's very very well known. Um, it's it basically started as a labor of love, really. Um, I was looking for help for myself and my family. Um, I did not ever plan on doing what I do today. I had no idea. I had a full-time job at NFPA, um, National Fire Protection Association, and the opioids hit my family. My son, who uh, thankfully today, I'm one of the lucky ones, is in recovery, although I have lost other family members since then, and just as soon as three years ago. But in 2001, actually, is when it hit my family, when OxyContin was really seeping under doorways and you know no one knew what it was including myself and by the time I figured out what was wrong and why it had changed his life so much is um, he was already on heroin and so were many other kids in the town that I live in Rainham and young girls boys you know swinging on the, on the swings um, rope swings into the lake saying wow this makes you feel so good you don't have to you know, experiment with alcohol or, or find someone to buy alcohol when they're in high school, um, which kids will do stupid things like that. And then this drug came along that they didn't know what it was going to do to them um, just as soon as the next day. You know, snorting an 80 milligram Oxycontin back in those days was an equivalent to taking 16 Percocets and very, very highly addictive. So when you crushed the, it had a 12-hour time release on the pill, which would, would have been great for end-of-life cancer pain um, because for 12 hours it would maybe ease that cancer pain. But when they were wiping off that, that coat um, and snorting it, an 80-milligram pill, it was highly addictive. So within three days, they, they were it was, it was all over. That was it. His full-time job became seeking out more of those pills, which were very expensive. And that's when kids turn to heroin. And I will say, too, and you know this Tony um, being involved in the whole Sackler and Purdue Pharma thing, is it wasn't just kids experimenting. It was also legitimate patients that had surgeries, like our friend Ed, Ed Vannecke, who was in D.C., and he also testified with, with me and many others in 2007. He was um, in the military, and he was away in Korea, you know, serving our country, And while he was gone, his wife was in a car accident, a bad car accident, and had to have surgeries. When he came back, he did not recognize her. And he didn't know what this medication was that she was taking. And he didn't know at the time that it was the medication that was hurting her and that had changed her until he woke up and found her dead in the bed. And then he, the EMTs came and said, this is what's killed your wife. So You know, there's so many different stories, you know, people that were prescribed, kids that were, you know, doing foolish things, you know, in high school, like my son his senior year of high school. It completely changed his entire future. And so from about 2001 to 2004, my husband and I really tried to figure out how to help him. Um, I would go and hit brick walls everywhere I went. I went to a meeting and finally got the courage to raise my hand because I was scared to death. Um, And when I did that, the person running the meeting said, stop right there, this meeting is not about your son, it's about you. And I said, no, it's about my son. I need help and he's going to die. I don't know what to do. I need someone to help me, tell me what to do. And they were like, well, we don't have resource information here. So I got up and walked out and um, just started, I continued to, find detoxes that was only three and four days and then he'd get out and then I'd think he was okay and then he'd relapse and back and forth and back and forth and I learned we learned the hard way um, that it was going to be many years of this that so one of the um, I mean I it's such a long story but there was incarceration involved um, which gave us a little bit of a break to be honest with you it was heart-wrenching but Um, And then section 35, which we've talked about, there was, you know, private pay, almost getting divorced because I just wanted to fix him. And my husband was the one that was like, we can't fix him. And my younger kids were suffering terribly. It was just awful. And by 2004, he was incarcerated again. And I had was at my wits end. And There was a local district attorney, Bill Keating, who's now Congressman Keating, from Norfolk County, and he was the only one that I actually heard of that was um, warning the public about this drug, OxyContin, and he was having a forum in Stoughton, so I called his office and I said, thank you, (laughs) somebody is talking about this drug, it's like, it's ruining so many lives, and one of my son's friends had already died, and you know no one really was it was more no one knew it began with this drug they thought it was just kids using heroin and that wasn't it it was this drug that was you know leading them to it and so he ended up calling me back and asking me if I would come and speak and at that point I was like sure my son's in jail his life is done I thought he was never going to be able to have a life because I had Lived with addiction as a kid and had an older brother that passed um, and a sister with alcoholism. So I thought, now he's never going to be able to get a job. He's never going to have a life. So I have nothing to lose. So I went to this thing and boom.
1: So you say he was in jail. Was he sectioned? Or did he?
2: No, he. That came later. So he did um, do something involving stealing, which got him behind bars. It wasn't a violent crime, but you know, that goes hand in hand with you know addiction mm-hmm.
1: so um just so that everybody understands um first of all our phone number is 781-834-9639 781-834-9639 easy number to remember and if you have any questions for joanne or myself please don't hesitate to call um just again to learn to cope is for basically is is for the parents not for the children uh, not for the addict, and so it could be your husband, could be your wife, it could be your mother, because there's a lot of addicts out there who are grandmothers. Uh, it's, it's amazing, and they don't even count in the overdoses, because they always say that they died in their sleep of a heart failure or natural causes, so they're not even in the number, and as of now, we are at least over six hundred or 700,000 deaths in the past 15 or 20 years. And again, what really started this whole thing, or even put OxyContin on the map, 1995, Richard Sackler decided to, he wanted to become a billionaire, and he wanted to go out there, and basically what he did was he lied and said that this drug was not addictive, less than 1% would ever get addicted, and he knew otherwise, but he said that anyway. But even worse so, he went to the FDA and got the packaging changed, so that instead of Instead of only giving it for people with life in life care that's dying of cancer, what they did was they in, they convinced the FDA and they actually wrote it themselves. They convinced the FDA to let them write write the packaging paperwork inside, so that everybody who had pain would be taken care of. And what they said was that if your they tell the doctors if your patient is leaving your office. In pain, you're not doing your job because Oxycontin and Oxycodone are the two drugs that can take care of that. And now we have tens of thousands of parents who are dealing with children, who are um, dealing with substance abuse and dealing with addiction to, to different types of pills. And they usually start with a prescription, and that prescription ends up with heroin once they're, once they're shut off. And right now, the biggest problem is fentanyl. Fentanyl is replaced because you couldn't, they couldn't get the heroin like they used to get into this country because of all the changes at the border. So now it's artificial pills laced with fentanyl. And, and so what, what Joanne has done is created multiple locations for parents to be able to um, come in and get some help because if your child or your spouse has got an addiction problem, you need help because your life is in chaos as well. And I've done I did twenty years of my son being addicted and was chaos all twenty years, without a doubt. Within thirty days, the whole my whole world changed. And I'm gonna let Joanne go from here. But I just wanna get the, the groundwork down. So so now Joanne has now opened up several learned to copes and I'm gonna let her explain what that is and how it works. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. So um, after that night at the DA's office, I heard from hundreds of people. Um, There was a reporter there that night that asked if he could talk about what I talked about in the paper, and I said only if you give my email address out because that was the first time that I met other parents that were at that forum that I could actually talk to that were going through it. So long story short, I heard from hundreds of parents, and I was trying to keep up with them. There was no Facebook back then. There was no social media. There was only dial-up Internet (laughs) So if I was on the computer, someone couldn't use the phone, and it just turned into a nightmare trying to keep up with all these emails. So I said, let's start meeting, and we started meeting in Randolph. In the first meeting, there was probably 30 people. And then every week, it was bigger and bigger and bigger Mm. and bigger. We had to move three times because we ran out of room space, and by the time we found a room, there was 100 people a week in that room. There were people coming on the ferry from Martha's Vineyard in the summer. Then uh, three years later in 2007, I started one up on the North Shore, Um, two women. And I was still working full-time back then. You know, that was basically, this was my, what I just did. You know, I'd be at work in the parking lot and helping people find detoxes for their kids and things. And then these two women came from North Shore that heard that people were driving all the way down to our meetings from the North Shore, and they said, can you bring this up here? And they worked for Mass General. And I said, I can try. I've never duplicated this. But we started hitting courthouses, police stations up in Salem. Courthouses, police stations, uh, emergency rooms, counseling, anywhere that I knew a parent would land and you know just started saying there's going to be a meeting on September 20th, 2007 at Mass General Hospital for Children, same thing. First night there was like maybe 20 something people. Now that meeting, well with COVID it's a little different, but that meeting would have 80 people a week even as as short of time as 2 years ago. It's a huge meeting. So then today, fast forward, there's 26 meetings in Massachusetts. One of them is completely in Spanish. We're in um, all regions of the state except for Mother's Vineyard in Nantucket. Um, We have a meeting in Florida that people came from Florida to find out how to start one there, and then they brought it back and started it in Florida. And now, um, very recently, I did a CNN piece with Dr. Sanjay Gupta, and I have the same things happening. I've heard from people from all over the country and as far away as Canada so we've just started a national meeting which is the first and third Tuesday of every month on Zoom but we start at 9 o'clock in the evening because it's mainly people from the West and Midwest in different time zones so that's um, that's kinda difficult because we don't know the resources in their states and they're from multiple states so we're just basically getting to know each other and We're pretty lucky as as far as um, resources here in Massachusetts because some of those other states, they don't even have Narcan, some of them. Or the the Native American reservations live three hours away from a detox, and they have one car to share on the reservation to get their loved one to treatment. So, you know, this is what the Sacklers and Purdue Pharma have opened the floodgates um, for heroin and other Um, heavy prescriptions to infiltrate our country. And that's what we've been dealing with since the 90s, late 90s.
1: And for those that don't know, um, basically, OxyContin, OxyCodone, is heroin in a pill form. It's the exact same formula, exact same results in the brain. Everything's the same. The only difference is you can buy, you used to be able to buy a bag of heroin for the price of a, a Happy Meal at McDonald's. And... With the great OxyContin, you'll probably pay a dollar per gram. So if it's a 40 milligram, you're looking at $40. And, uh, and believe it or not, I mean, there was actually a lot of people who were um, on on um, Social Security. And uh, I know this as much as the last five or six years. They would get a prescription and have somebody sell it for them, and you could get... 140 milligram Oxycontins, and that converts into $4,000 because there's so much demand. And I have a very good friend now that I met when we did the movie If Only um, who robbed 37 CVS pharmacies. And when he robbed the pharmacy, the only thing he went in for was the Oxy's. And that's all he cared about. That's all he lived for. He got caught on the 37th one and served a few years in jail. And he was... And here's the thing that I really find amazing. He went into a Massachusetts prison just a little while ago, and I say a little while ago, within the last 10 years. And when you're addicted to Oxy, especially what he was addicted to, he was taking 300 milligrams a day. He was severely, it's amazing he's even alive. Um, He got severely dope sick, and they put him in, in, in solitary with no treatment, nothing. And he was like for 30 days. It was like having the flu on steroids, and he was just amazed that I'm just amazed that he survived this, and and he lived to tell me about it. Mm-hmm. And he's now doing films and movies and things about um, about o- OxyContin, and we he helped us do the If Only movie. He was the director of oh, that Jim one. Jim Wahlberg. No, 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 this guy. No, this was Michael Yebra. Oh. Michael Yeba directed that. Oh. Jim was just the uh, one of the producers, wow. and then Circle of Addiction, and uh, the Fear Within. Michael Michael Yebbert did that one too. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And uh, then Jim took over as now as the director of all the films that we've done. Yeah. And that's we're trying to get the message out. So if somebody comes to a learn to cope meeting. Let's say today under the COVID restrictions, mm-hmm. somebody they do they call your the office on the phone?
2: So we have all of our meetings right now on Zoom because of COVID, and um, I have to say they're really good. And Monday through Thursday night, there's several Learn to Cope meetings going on. So if someone needs a meeting, all they have to do is either go to our website, which is learnwiththenumber two, cope.org, and click on um, Stay Connected, and we'll send a Zoom link. Or they can call our office, and we can connect them to a meeting. And when they when they sign on to a meeting just like when they would walk into a room with our in-person meetings um, they're gonna meet a lot of other people that are in all different stages some people just continue to come because they want to give back some of them have lost their kids years ago and still come because they want to give back to the new people that are coming so the first thing we do is we have facilitators for all of these meetings. Um, it, we have different facilitators every week, and we read a mission that this is an anonymous meeting. We're not there to tell people what to do. That's that's what we don't want to happen. We're there just to support each other, to share resources, and to be there for people when they're in horrible pain. Um Many people say that it wasn't until they started getting that peer support from a meeting like ours that they started to get better themselves. And then when we start to get better and feel stronger, a lot of times our kids, not always, unfortunately, but sometimes they'll start to get stronger. Um, we're also a Narcan pilot for the Department of Public Health. We have been since 2010, I believe, and. What happened was in in about nine days, we lost seven kids, and it was just constant. and Unfortunately, we still have some weeks like that. And I had heard about Narcan, which is an antidote that reverses opioid overdose, and I had heard that they had it available in the city of Boston for um, outreach workers. And I thought, well, why don't we have it? We're first responders, too. And, you know, the last straw for me was when one of our dads, he lost his 18-year-old daughter, um, founder in her room in the morning and I lost it and I just wrote an editorial and I said families are first responders we should have this antidote you know we might be able to save their lives while we're waiting for the EMTs and you know I had a meeting with Michael Botticelli who back then was the head of Bureau of Substance Addiction Services and and he said you know what you're right let's start giving out Narcan to families but then what happened was we would have people come to give it to us once a month. But then people were passing away on the other weeks. And so I called them back. I said, we need to have this every week. Like, yeah. we need to be able to, someone calls us, we give it to them. Um, and then they said, well, let's make Learn to Cope one of our pilots then. So fortunately, um, we get the Narcan. We have we supply it to all of our meetings. Through COVID, we've been pretty creative. Um, especially during the real shutdowns, what we do is train somebody online on Zoom, and then we'd go and deliver it to their house, either put it in their mailbox or on their front step or or put it in the mail. Um, But we were able to still get it to people. We've had over 200 overdose reversals um, because what we have to do, obviously for the state, is every time we give out Narcan, we have to fill out a form and it's all confidential and no one's name is on that form. But it's a good way for the state to see how much Narcan, you know, we're giving out. And then also we have to do a report back if someone uses their Narcan so that they can see that it is saving lives. And unfortunately with fentanyl, it's been a little harder because that's so potent. So, um, you know, it takes more Narcan now to save somebody with fentanyl. Yeah, I wanted to
1: have you explain to us what actually how it really works. Because I've mm-hmm. seen it work, and I know how I've I seen it. But mm-hmm. you explain it. The other thing is, there's a couple different kinds of Narcan. That that nasal one is that the mm-hmm. is that the type that you're giving out.
2: Yes, we have the nasal Narcan, um, and you know, basically, only EMTs have the the Narcan that's you know injectable. So we have the nasal Narcan, and it just looks like nasal spray, really. Right. Um, And it's much easier to use than it was years ago when we used to have to put together the kits, um, which took a lot of time. But now we have the regular nasal spray, and it's a little stronger than the original version. And each person gets two kits. It's all free. Everything's free. Nothing costs anything for Learn to Cope. Nothing at all. Um, And what happens is we, when we do our training, we train people on how to recognize an overdose. And, um when to administer Narcan so one of the I guess it's hard to explain without you being able to see me but if you take your middle finger and you make like a fist and you t- take the middle finger and just push it up a little bit and then rub that knuckle on your chest and if you rub your chest really hard if you do that to somebody and they don't respond then that you it's almost certain that that's an overdose that's when you pick up 911.
1: Yeah, and, if, and I, if I was a parent, though, and I didn't know any better, um, there's no harm in doing Narcan, even if there's...
2: There's no harm at all. Right, I,
1: there's no problem. So so if you're not sure, you do it anyway.
2: Exactly. That's
1: my theory, you know, so...
2: The one thing about it is it only works on opioids. It doesn't work on Klonopins or Benzos or alcohol. It only works on reversing an opioid. But like you said, it doesn't hurt anyone. I could Narcan myself right now. And the only adverse effect it would have on me is if I was on prescription pills for real pain, it would take that away. So what happens is when, when someone's overdosing, what happens is the drug is filling up the, the receptors in their brain. And when it starts to fill up and spill over out of the receptors, the brain actually starts to tell the lungs to stop working. So when someone administers the Narcan up the nasal cavity, it goes into the membranes, and then it goes into the brain, and it goes into those receptors, and it sits on the receptors and knocks the opiate out. So another very important thing in our training is you have to call 911 because it only lasts 90 minutes. So when it sits on those receptors and blocks the heroin or the oxys, And the person can come too, and they'll go into withdrawal, which they won't be happy about, but who cares because they're alive. Um, And sometimes you have to use two doses, and by then hopefully the ambulance is there. But one of the most important things to know is you, you should call 911 right away because what's the first thing? When you take away somebody's high and they're starting to feel withdrawal, they're going to want to go out and get more of the drug. So if they just run out and get more of the drug and then the narcan wears off, they're going to overdose again. So that's why they have to be hospitalized and, and watched for a couple hours, but then they get streeted anyway, so
1: Yeah, well that's the big thing. We'll talk yeah. about getting sectioned in a second. And mm-hmm. I will say one story actually more than one story I know of just in the town of Plymouth where it was all the people in the in the house were under 25, and they had heroin in the house, and they had oxys in the house, and nobody called 911, and nobody had Narcan. And what they did was they... uh, The person overdosed, deceased, and they just Mm. left their body outside, or down in the laundromat, actually, in North Plymouth. One was right in in the laundromat, and it was like... Because they didn't want the police to come. Now, do I understand today that that's not a problem if police show up and somebody's... They just... They just take care of the person and then they move on. Is that correct?
2: There's a law was passed where you can't be arrested if you call 911 when someone's overdosing. You know, they come and and help the person. So luckily that passed a long time ago because that did prevent people from calling. Um, You know, and the Plymouth police have been great. They've they've really, they have the post-overdose through PCO Hope. They'll go to a house after an overdose and you know, try and help and see if the person will go into treatment. Um, so things have definitely changed since then. But, um, yeah, I, there's such a stigma and then also a lot of fear when people are using together. Um, some of the things, the myths that I like to break, to are, um, you know, when someone says, we got to go after the dealers and, and put them all in jail. And what people have to realize is when it's just, it's a lot of times. It's just all people using that use together, and it's the big guys above them that we need to go after. That don't use the drug, that are right. using our sons and daughters as pawns, and you know, giving them enough to get them addicted, and then they're going to go out and sell all the drugs, and and then they'll be the ones to go to jail, not the ones. That's above the
1: unfortunate them. part. Yeah. Right. We're going to have to take a break here, but uh, I just want to mention again, seven eight one. 834-9639, 781-834-9639. That's the number here to call. And now let's give Joanne some questions. I'm sure that some people out there are afraid to ask a question, but there's no question that's not good. You know, everything, anything you want to know, please call, and um, we'll get back to you soon. 1510
0: W-M-E-X, Boston.
3: Listen to W-M-E-X anytime, anywhere on Odyssey. Odyssey is your new audio home for all the music, news, sports, and podcasts that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Well, maybe like me, you're looking for ways to improve your immune system during the pandemic. Maybe you're looking for ways to stay healthy and develop those healthy habits for the new year. Well, I'm telling you, you don't have to look any further than Tessie's Teas because they offer crystallized instant ginger tea and it's pieces of ginger rolled in honey. And ginger, well, come on, it's got so many health benefits. Where do I even start? Ginger boosts your immune system. It's an antiviral, antioxidants, anti-inflammatory, and a whole lot more. So you don't have to take my word for it. Look up the benefits of ginger for yourself online. I'm telling you, it's delicious, convenient, and healthy. You can order all-natural ginger tea today, so don't wait. I mean, it's only while supplies last, so don't miss out. Order now, Tessie's Tea.com. Take action. You deserve it. Your family deserves it. Stay ahead of the pandemic. Order your ginger tea today at Tessie's Tea.com. Again, that's Tessie's Tea.com.
0: Welcome back to WMEX, the all-new 1510 AM, Quincy, Boston, and translator W2. 66DQ, 101.1 FM in Weymouth. You are listening to Upholding Hope with your host, Uncle Tony.
1: Thank you, Ben. We are back with Joanne Peterson from Learn to Cope. And I really would like to hear from some of the people out there who are listening. I know there's quite a few listening tonight. And even if you don't have a main question, but you want to add something to the conversation, please feel free to do that. And moving along in your own personal deal with your son um, later got sectioned correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I use that term section but what that means is they get in they go to lockup where they can't leave and it keeps them there for 30 60 90 days and I used to speak at the place in Bridgewater Bridgewater State Prison. and I used to encourage these. Young guys there. <clears throat> I did always the guys. The women went to Framingham, and, and they went to Framingham State. Is that what it's called?
2: Not anymore. They don't, luckily. But yeah, yeah they used to go to Framingham Jail. Yep. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Okay. But you know the the big thing about when a when a loved one is sectioned, you know, you actually will finally get a good night's sleep because you'll know where they are. You'll know that they're safe, and I think that's really a critical part of the situation. Mm. Uh, we, we we need to make sure that um, they get good treatment there. That's the second half, though. But I'm going to let Joanne finish on what she f- feels about being sectioned and how important that was for her son.
2: Okay, so um, I learned about Section 35, I don't know, probably years ago, probably 2004, 2005. And one thing I will say about a Section 35 is it should never be used in – it should only be used as a very last resort. And that's if you can't reach that person anymore. Um, if you feel like that person is a danger to themselves with their drug use um, and that they're going to die. And, you know, a lot of, I know many, 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 many people that have been sectioned that are still in long term recovery today. Does it work for everybody? No. Um, but it did save my son's life, Um, and I actually had to do it twice over the course of my journey. And the second time I did it, he actually put his hands out and, and almost, like, surrendered, and he said to me that he just couldn't stop. He just couldn't stop, no matter how hard he tried, and that's what people need to understand about this addiction is they don't enjoy this, they don't enjoy this. Now after
1: a month goes by and they become addicted, there's no such thing as getting high like right. you're, like you're imagining what it's going to be like, you know. Yeah. It's not that way at all. It's it's just to keep from getting dope sick. Right. And that's that's a big thing that people understand and yeah. I was a bereavement facilitator at at um, Hope Floats in Kingston Mass for a short time and I say short time for 3 years and 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 a couple of times men we we 95% of the pe- people who came in were women. And, and we had, um, but every time a husband came in, they just like, why didn't they just quit? And they'd get angry. Why didn't they just quit? You know, I don't get it. Why don't? What's the problem? Well, they don't understand that they're not abusing the drug. The drug is abusing them. And this is what people really need to understand. And that's mm-hmm. where the whole stigma thing comes in. You know, your son goes in like my son. He was a patient at a hospital. And he's a patient, and he gets a prescription for oxycodone for 30 days, and they give him 100 pills, and we have no clue that it's even a what an opioid is. And then when he goes back a year later, now he's a drug addict, you know, and now all of a sudden there's this huge stigma. You know, but let's time out, you know. The hospital gave him the prescription, and I carried a sign in Washington, D.C. that my son's drug dealer wore a lab coat. You know, my son's drug supplier was CVS, you know, and that's what people got to get, you know, that this is, this is why, this is what actually happens. And, you know, we did the vigil in Brockton High School on August 31st, and I read off every name that came up on that slideshow. First time I did it, there were 29 names five years ago. This year there were 396. And I wish everybody out there could <clears throat> see the pictures of these young adults who passed away or died from an overdose. They look like every kid in high school. They look like every person that you meet on the street. They're not like old shabby looking people living underneath a bridge somewhere and shooting up every day. That's not what they... Nobody ever wrote that in their yearbook that they wanted to be a drug addict, believe me. You know, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to go... Sorry for the interruption there. I get get carried away when I get talking. It's hard
2: not to. I I get it. (laughs) Um, My niece is picture was added to that list so you probably read off her name if you went to the Brockton vigil um Um,
1: I did yeah I mean she
2: passed three years ago and you know it's just it's hit so many people um one of the things that um I mentioned about section 35 is back when it was governor Ron Romney um we advocated and begged for you know them to stop sending women to Framingham jail because that was tough I mean, they went right into general population. It was not like Bridgewater where when men, they would be across the street from the actual jail. They were in like an old boot camp. The women went straight to general pop with, you know, and they, they it was their first time. They, some of them had never even committed a crime. So as soon as Governor Baker came in, we begged Romney and then we also begged um, Deval Patrick to do something about it Romney was good because he created Watsi, which is Women's Addiction Treatment Center, in um, run through High Point. So that was good. Um, women were going there instead of to framing him, unless they had like you know heavy criminal charges. But when Governor Baker took office, boom, no more framing him for women. It was great. He just right away. Um, and then Matsu, which is Men's Addiction Treatment Center. Also run through High Point was very good. It wasn't really so much a jail setting. Um, one of the things that changed with Section 35 is it wasn't 30 days anymore. We were seeing people get out in like four and five days and six days and seven days. And um, sometimes they'll be kept for 30, 60, or 90 days, but oftentimes they're out much sooner than that. And um, But I would hate to see Section 35 go away completely because... It does save a lot of lives, Um, but I think it's been sometimes used not as a last resort, so it's become a little controversial now um, because rather than finding if someone's willing to go to treatment, then they should be able to just go to treatment instead of being forced. Um, A lot of times they're not willing, Um, but a lot of times it, it was overused sometimes, I guess I should say. And now it's a lot harder to section someone than it ever used to be.
1: So when you want to section someone, you have to go to court?
2: Yeah, you have to be What's the procedure,
1: whole procedure? What does a parent have to do?
2: So it has to be either a parent or a spouse, um, a police officer or a doctor. And you have to literally prove that that person is a danger to themselves or somebody else. Um We all know using that drug is dangerous, but that's not enough. You have to show, you know, there was a car accident. They're driving while they're under the influence. Or sometimes it's you have elderly people in the home or younger kids in the home, and you're worried about, you know, the house burning down if they fall asleep with, you know, smoking cigarettes in the basement or something. Um, Sometimes people literally brought sheets into court with them with burn marks in them and said, my house is going to burn down, you know. So... You have to really prove. Another thing people um, do sometimes is they'll bring a picture of what their loved one is supposed to look like. And then when they come into court, they can see that they're Mm, obviously not well. That's a good idea. So, um, you know, but it's very controversial. Some people say it's um, cruel and unusual punishment. For me, I knew I was either going to buy a coffin or I was going to stand in front of a judge and beg him to do something and help him get away from this drug and... I have no regrets. I'll never have regrets. And my son today is—I'm very lucky, very successful, um, very long-term, and you know has a good life. Um, my niece didn't make it though, so
1: yeah. Sorry to hear that. Um, I remember my—ironically, my, my—the person who took me to the first learn to cope meeting and. And I went after my son died, but mm-hmm. that particular person, um, I won't mention names here, but she she was working. She ended up coming to work for me, and her son overdosed at 11 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and and survived. They used Narcan, got him back. Four o'clock the same day, he did it again. Went right back to the same dealer because that dealer was being uh, the, the town that this happened in I happened to be aware of the the sting operation that was going on, and and I can't get into that at all because I used to have a, play a part in that. And sure enough, he showed up as a customer again. And sure enough, he overdosed again. Yeah. And the, if the police weren't there, they happened to be in unmarked vehicles in McDonald's right near the whole process. Um, and it happened in in Plymouth, and um, and. Uh, the chief of police did go to the court the next day and got him sectioned, and that was really critical. Yeah. that because that saved him. I mean, that's when I say this child was this person was out of control.
2: And how is he today? Is he good today?
1: He actually is quite good today. See, so I know it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing because um, I know there was a real problem with the family too between the husband and wife, and it was just chaos. And his sister actually went to the um, addiction school in Brockton—is that what they call it, or some mm-hmm. sort of a school where kids with addiction would go together?
2: Oh, recovery oh, high school. Recovery oh, high school.
1: Great, mm-hmm. and she's doing fabulous, okay. and she's really she so. Both good. of them made it, so it can happen. You can you can have success, and I didn't have any resource like learn to cope in the beginning, but I, <clears throat> as bad as it is, and this is what I I said last week, as bad as it is, to deal with somebody who's got. Uh, substance use disorder and all the stigma and all the nonsense you have to put up with with your relatives and your friends and your boss and your colleagues and everything, I got to tell you, it's a hundred times worse if you ever cross that line and your person, the person in your life overdoses and doesn't live. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, nothing imaginable as bad as that. And I know Joanne's seen, the last time I heard her speak and at Boston Common before COVID, um, she was fed up with how many funerals she's had to go to.
2: Yeah, I lost count a long time ago.
1: (laughs) I assume it's well over 100. Oh. Hundreds.
2: It's probably thousands by now. Yeah. I I, I don't know. I mean, it's been years of it. I mean, Learn to Cope, I've been doing Learn to Cope for 18 years of deaths. (laughs) So I don't know how many... (laughs) But I also see a lot of life. But yesterday morning, I got a terrible call. I mean, that it's still happening today. Um, it's not so much the prescriptions anymore. Now it's all fentanyl and it's heroin. Um, but you can't even really find heroin anymore. Everything out there is fentanyl. Um, there's been so much advocating about the prescriptions that that's improved. Uh, there, is there still some overprescribing? Yes. Is there now Adderall and Benzos? And it's just, I think, I think what the Sacklers did, and if you watch Dope Sick, if you have not watched Dope Sick, you should, because I have seen a lot of um, stories and journalists do things about this, but Dope Sick nailed it. Um, Oh, yeah. And, you know, if you haven't seen the memo from the New York Times um, show, which is also on Hulu... That also describes, um, there was a memo that was hidden. That's why when I was there in 2007, that's why there were no criminal charges because there was a backroom deal with politicians and, um, you know, so there was no jail time. But what I'm saying is all of what they did created Generation RX, like just pills everywhere. And, you know... Cancer patients should be able to have end-of-life pain and should be have should be able to have prescriptions to ease their pain. And they do, they do. Um, and there's a lot more awareness around Massachusetts because of you and so many other people. All of us out there advocating and educating parents know now, even when their kids go to the dentist, what is that? Is that Vicodin? Is that? Do they really need that? Can they just have Motrin after this? And a lot of times. They can just have Motrin and That's be right. okay, um, but when you watch Dope Sick and you see what the Sacklers actually did, you understand now why you and I, um, and so many other people have had to live with this for so many
1: years. Well, the Sacklers are a member of the billionaire club, mm-hmm. and as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, they were—they were the home office was in Stamford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. But they wanted a judge. They When they filed bankruptcy, they wanted a judge that um, would be cooperative with them. So where'd they go? They st- went over the state line and went the West Plains, right? White, White Plains, Plains, yeah. White Plains, so that they could get a favorable judge. And this judge actually, um, as part of the bankruptcy, now Purdue Pharma filed bankruptcy, not the Sacklers. And not all of them are even on the board of directors anymore. and. The judge gave them immunity from financial uh, involvement to the bankruptcy. So here's this company got four, they claimed they had 4.5 billion in dollars. and they really weren't putting any of their own money up. Uh, just the money from the, from, from the corporation. Uh, they're sitting on 11 or 12 billion in offshore accounts. And the, drugs, I mean, and the judge has given them immunity. Well, how did that happen? They basically bought the judge by going, finding the right place to file the bankruptcy in. And this is the kind of thing that we as parents and um, workers in this field, this has got to stop. You can't have bankruptcy that way. I mean, I understand that even Johnson & Johnson are going to separate their baby powder because they have so many lawsuits, because they have... Um, What's the drug that's in the baby powder? It's uh, asbestos. Yeah. yeah. They have asbestos in the baby powder, and it's caused all kinds of problems with women and cancer and variety of things. They have so many lawsuits. They're going to separate it out so they can file bankruptcy for, for the baby powder uh, part of it and, um, and walk away. They won't pay any money, and, and they, they're still selling the product. And when they still checked it recently, I saw a John Oliver show. They still had asbestos in it. They're still doing it. And it's 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 mind-boggling what money can do. Greed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when your son was sectioned, how long was he there?
2: um, Well, back when I did it, the first time he went to Bridgewater, and that was, back in those days, it was 30 days, and that's it. There was no anything before that. Um, And that was before I really knew a lot about how opioid addiction works, and it didn't take long for him. Um, I brought him to Plymouth House in New Hampshire, which is was an amazing place back in those days, um, and p- paid for some private treatment. And then he went about four years. Um, you know, really started getting his life back, apartment. And then a relapse happened again, and I, I, I knew like it wasn't going to be good. And I, I sat back and I watched and. He says that this was the most important relapse he ever had because he was stood to lose everything, including his life. He he got really sick, and um, I sectioned him. And well, of course, I tried everything first, you know, to talk him into going. And um, that's when he did this when the when they came. What she's
1: doing is she's holding her fist together, yeah. looking to get handcuffed. He, he
2: was like surrendering. It was very sad, but. Um, if you met him today, you would never ever guess. Such a good father, husband, you know, hard worker, um, and has helped a lot of people for many years himself. Um, he's going on with his own life now, so I don't like put him out there. But he used yeah, to good. he used to go around and speak with me everywhere for years, and you know now he's off having his life, and so I just continue to do. What I do, um, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, um, sadly. And then with COVID, it's been pretty difficult. Um, You know, a lot of isolation, a lot of relapses for people with long-term recovery because of losing jobs and, you know, so it's been different. Um, But as far as offering support, we've done really well with with Zoom. we have a still learning, still coping group, which is very unique. It's a grief group for parents that have so, have already lost one child but have another one that's using. And they, they always felt like they didn't really have anywhere to go because they didn't want to be at one meeting or the other. They needed their own because right. they still were struggling and needed resources for... They were using one, and then they still needed help with the grief for the other one. So we have that, um, and then we have um, a Spanish-speaking group, which is great because we're reaching a lot of people that we weren't able to reach before now with Zoom. So even when we go back in person, we'll keep the Zoom meetings, too, for those people because we don't want to um, abandon them.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great idea because, um, as I said, one of the grief groups that I'm involved with now uh, we're in three states yeah so we have there would be no way this these people would be coming to Hope floats in Kingston Massachusetts when we have somebody who's in southern Vermont and yeah. another one out in Lenox Massachusetts and yeah. southern New Hampshire so they it's really coming um Ben, if somebody would like to ask a question even after we go off the air uh, can you give them the website that the uh, they could Send in a question because I have this feeling that a lot of people are nervous and they don't realize we're live right now.
0: Absolutely. Folks can always go to WMEXBoston.com. There's a form at the very, very bottom of the main homepage where you can leave your name, contact info, or just reach out anonymously and have either Uncle Tony or or anyone get back to you directly. You can always go to Facebook, WMEXBoston, or email us directly at WMEXBoston at gmail.com. And I'm sure you have some social media as well.
1: Yes, and this show will be aired again on, um, so if you're hearing this on Monday night on on WATD or on WBMS from Brockton, uh, same thing applies because on Monday night they won't be able to call in, but they can go to our website and send us a question and anything they need.
0: That's right, WMEXBoston.com.
1: And I can tell you, when I was trying to find Joanne to have her come to the show, the people who do answer the phone at Learn to Cope are extremely nice. <laughs> I, I could tell it. I'm certainly wasn't calling the, the registry. I, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have to say, we have an amazing team of people. We have, there's 14 of us in Learn to Cope, and we're all over the state, and probably the most caring people you'll ever meet in your life. And everyone that works for us has been touched by this somehow. So. I think yeah. that's real important, too, because it when is. someone calls, they know it's someone that gets it. So,
1: Yeah, I think that's really, really critical is the whole stigma part of it. And again, we have a few minutes left. If anybody wants to call, 781-834-9639, um, we're here. And even if you call at me after 7 o'clock, um, I'll still be around for a little bit. <laughs> so... Um, and we really want to thank you, Joanne, for coming in. And
2: I'm happy to. Yeah,
1: yeah I'm, I don't know how you do it, to be honest with you. This is a seven-day-a-week job, and you've been doing it for almost 20, for over 20 years, yeah. and I, I just find that um, just you're one of a kind.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're pretty special yourself, Tony. Look what you're uh-huh. doing. You know, you're reaching people through the airwaves. Someone's listening right now, I guarantee it, that, you know this is helping them because that's one of the biggest things that people really should know is no matter what you know you're not alone whether you have someone struggling or that you've lost somebody that you love um there's many people like tony out there running groups that you can or if you just call and talk to tony or you know or join one of the groups he does the grief groups and um or if you need learn to cope, if you have someone struggling, there's other groups out there too, not just learn to cope. But um, you know, you don't have to go it alone. It's you know, there's people out there that can help.
1: So Ben, will this be on the WMEX uh, website where they could click on live events and our events and be able to listen later?
0: Absolutely, we'll make this available on the website. We'll make sure that the link to it is readily available, and anyone that would like to find the information in the show will be able to do so very easily.
1: So, if anybody out there has a relative uh, who is dealing with a with a spouse or a child with addiction problems, you know, tell them about this show. I know we I know who's out there listening, and tell them tell them about this show, and they can just go to our website. Click it on, and they can hear the whole entire show over again. Mm-hmm. And they'll pick up something along the way. And, and ev- everything will help. The biggest thing is stigma. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody, and now we're going into the, this is the holiday season. And I hate to say it, but this is the worst month of the year for overdoses. Mm-hmm. Because people who have been sober, and they've been, they've been going on the right path, a lot of times I've heard them one year, two years, Their friend comes back from high school and they go partying and somebody says, oh, just once, no big deal. Well, that's a big deal because whatever they were used to before they got sober, Mm -hmm. they can't do that again and their body is going to just quick. It'll be one pill will kill and that's something that people got to always remember. Mm -hmm. So if you're related to that person, uh, don't let them go to crazy parties, talk them out of it. You know, you know, don't do the don't do the alcohol thing around Christmas time in the house. Temptation is the worst thing, you know, because in uh, the littlest thing might set them off. And so, uh, again, uh, tell them that you love them, tell them that you care about them, and that's why you're you're questioning where they're going, who they're going to be with. You, that's that's the worst thing that, that can possibly happen. Mm-hmm. Joanne's nodding her head, so I guess she agrees with me. The
2: holidays are definitely a rough time of year um, for everybody involved. Um, There's one thing I didn't mention that I should. There's so many um, orphan children now out there, too, that have lost parents, and there's a lot of grandparents out there raising them. So if you can ever help a grandparent raising a grandchild, you know. I know that deal. Help them out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my son had a stepdaughter, kind of a stepdaughter. They never get legally married, but... She's had three children so I envision myself coaching T-ball in 2 years. Oh good. So
2: <laughs> That's good.
1: Yeah, so we, we'll go through the cycle again but if you want to learn more about that you could go whataboutthekidsfilm.com and you can watch that film on on uh, YouTube. It's whataboutthekidsfilm.com. And it's very, very helpful of the grandparents And see what the grandparents have to go through. They thought they were going to be sunbathing themselves in southern Arizona or Florida. <laughs> exactly. And now they're they're going to yeah, first awful. and second grade uh, teacher conferences, you know.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're very welcome.